have your Bibles near you this morning, would you turn to Mark chapter 9 this morning, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 30, Mark chapter 9, verse 30, we'll start out with that verse, we'll go down to verse 41, Mark chapter 9, and verse 30 this morning. Mark 9, 30. They departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. And he caused disciples to say to them, The Son of Man is delivered in the hands of men. They shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise again the third day. They understood not that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? They held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith to them, If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all, and the servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. Whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. And Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Gracious Father, again we come to you and we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for allowing us to have your word, to read, to meditate, to study, to memorize to preach, to teach, and we ask God again that you give us ears to hear, Father, from your word. Lord, on this very important topic, topics that we're talking about today, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to humble ourselves, to ask, Lord, if these areas which are mentioned from this pulpit, from your word, have anything to do with me. Lord, not my neighbor, not my husband, not my wife, not my children, but Lord, I pray you'd say to each one of us, Lord, are you speaking to me this morning? We thank you for this time. We ask you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we mentioned last time, Jesus has come to the place in his ministry where he's particularly teaching his disciples. He's done many wondrous works, and he'll do some more. But primarily, Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, that three, three-and-a-half-year ministry that he had with his disciples, his, his ministry among the people. He would be about 32 years of age about this point. He lived about 33 years. He's coming towards the end. And he has some lessons to, to teach them before he comes to the end. The first we mentioned a few weeks ago about the lesson of faith, learning faith and trusting, trusting when you can't see it, hoping when you can't hope, believing when you, you don't have the belief. But this, this morning, and as he's teaching here in this passage of Scripture, he's teaching another very important lesson, a lesson they will need in life, a lesson that we need in life. It's the lesson of humility, the lesson of humility. 
Humility is not considered a virtue in our proud, self-centered, egotistical culture, nor was it in the pagan world. For example, Aristotle, one of the most influential philosophers of the ancient world, described pride as the crown of the virtues. The world says when you're feeling low that you lack self-esteem. Dear friend, we don't have a problem with self-esteem. What we really have a problem with today, if we have any problem, is the problem of pride. We overfocus on us, our problems, our issues, our needs, us, us, us. We're a self-focused, self-absorbed, selfie society. <laughs> We've become all about me. And that's why our country, our world is in the situation it is in today. Dear friend, when I find myself sad, I feel myself low, when I'm, when I'm wanting to have a pity party and stick out my poochy lips, I, it's easy to, to say, well, you know, it's, it's because of this situation or that situation, because of that person and that person. And, it's, it, and that's what the world tells you to do. It's, it's your mama's problem. It's your brother's problem. It's, it's because of, you, your dad didn't show up to that one football game. Now your life, you scarred forever. They always want to put the blame on everybody else. But I tell you what, the best thing to do, instead of focusing on, on, everybody, on, on everybody else, what they've done for you, done against you, start loving people and start helping people. Start going around and people have it worse than you. And trust me, I know people that have it worse than you right now. I can take you down to Haiti where they don't have an air-conditioned church room and they're not sitting on padded, padded seats. And they're going to have a third, third, three-hour church service. If I go past 12, I see y'all starting to get in a panic. Barbecue's calling. They're going, to stay, they're going to sit there for three hours because they've walked 20, 30 miles, and they don't care for a three-hour service. Dear friends, go out there and start helping people and encourage people, loving people, and you won't have that poochy lip anymore. You'll have a smile on your face. You'll be glad because joy is Jesus, others, and then you. The problem, we've, we've messed that up. We focus on uh, you, us, and then others, and then Jesus. And that's the problem of society. It's all about us. We struggle, don't we? We all struggle. Humility, according to C.J. Mahaney in his book on humility, that Miss Wilma let me borrow, it's honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our own sinfulness. Pride, again, according to Mahaney, is when sinful human beings aspire to the status of God and useful and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. All of us in this room struggle with pride. You say, preacher, I don't struggle with pride. Well, you, that's just pride. <laughs> that's just pride talking. We all struggle pride. Pride is a stumbling stone on which all of us stumble from time to time. It's pride, is, pride is when you we start thinking to yourself, I'm pretty humble. That's when you got proud. <laughs> but when you start thinking you're pretty proud, that's when you got humble. It's just the opposite. Although humility is alien to our fallen nature, our human nature, it's foundational to the Christian life. So what can we learn about humility from this passage this morning? Let's look, first of all, verses 30 through 32. We see, first of all, humility exemplified. The greatest example of humility in the history of the world is right here before us this morning, and that's none other than Jesus Christ. 
We see his pattern. The Lord Jesus described himself as lowly and gentle of heart. The Bible talks about in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 6, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus chose it. Yes, it was chosen of the Father, but Jesus had to choose the path. And dear friend, if you're going to if you're going to be humble, you're going to have to choose to humble yourself. Because if you in a Christian life do not choose to humble yourself, God, as a loving Father, will choose to humble you. You married folk know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. I was putting out the sign this last week. I put, you know, seven, seven days without church makes one week. I thought it was W-E-E-K because seven weeks. So my wife in here come last week. She said, it's not W-E-E-K, it's W-E-A-K. I said, no, it's W-W-E-E-K. She says, no, W-E-A-K. I came and looked in the book. It was W-E-A-K. I was wrong. I, had to admit, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought I had her this time. I got it right. No, I was wrong. Life will humble you. Life will humble you. But you must choose humility. Christ chose it. Christ's death on the cross is the ultimate expression of humility. Verse 21, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, for him are you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Ooh, that's hard. Ooh. You might revile you. Anybody say anything bad to you, what you want to do? First thing, get mad. Puff up. What you talking about? Me? Your boss at work says something to you. Oh, you, 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 you did something wrong. You, should, you, you was too fast. You, you were too slow. You were too quick. You got too mad. First thing, you want to puff up your chest. Not me, not me, not me. And then the second thing you do, after you get mad, you start wanting to blame somebody else. No, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Does anybody identify out there? Amen or oh me. <laughs> Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. That's another area we struggle. We started getting a little bit of pain. Oh, we, man, we started getting a little bit of hungry. Oh, we started to get hungry. We get tired. That's not the time to talk to a man, to a man, ladies. That's the last time when you're hungry and tired. That's not decision making one on one time. That's let that old boy rest and get something to eat before you talk to him about buying that pair of shoes you want to buy. Though I have more shoes than her, I'll go ahead and admit it. I admit it. <laughs> when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. What an example we have. What a pattern we have to follow. Don't we see his pattern? We see his purpose. Again, his purpose, purpose would give in private instructions to his disciples. This old mentality of, you know, of, of not trying to help that person that's coming after, uh, after us is foreign to biblical Christianity. 
Dear friend, whenever there's somebody in our, around us, we should always desire to help them, teach them, instruct them, encourage them. That's what the body of Christ is all about. We're not just a holy temple. We're a hospital trying to help other people. That's what we ought to be about, looking on a regular basis, not just on Sunday morning, but on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How can I help other people? I love it when I meet older saints that their goal in life is to get up in the morning and figure out who I can bless that day. Is that your goal when you get up? Or is your first goal is, what can I, what can I get my fix? My co- I mean my coffee, right? My coffee. Where, where can I get my food? Where can I get me? Where can I focus on me? That's our focus. But dear friend, our focus should not be on how can I, what can I do for me. Our focus in the morning should be what can I do for other people? How can I do, help other people? And Jesus was focused on his disciples because soon Jesus was going to depart. And it's frequently the case the Lord was teaching the disciples that a son of man says here, is to be delivered in the hands of men. They should kill him. And when he, was, when he has been killed, he will rise again, rise three days later. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. The Messiah has come. He's already told this to them before. They didn't want to hear it. Christ being the Messiah was a stumbling block for the disciples. A dying Messiah was utterly incomprehensible and unacceptable to them. They wanted the king to come. They wanted ease. They wanted. They didn't want the shackles of Rome to be on them anymore. They wanted freedom. What were they focused on? Me, now, us, not them, later, others. And so often we do. Luke chapter 9, verse 44. He said, let these sayings seek down to your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered in the hands of men, he told them. Verse 45, and they understood not his saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not, for they feared to ask him of that saying. They could not handle the truth, the truth that Jesus Christ was coming, but he was not coming to set up his kingdom. He was coming to die, die for the sins of all mankind. Oftentimes I hear people come to me and say, preacher, if I only knew the future, if I only knew the truth, no friend, you can't handle the truth. Just focus on this truth. This is enough truth. Focus on this truth. You don't need signs and wonders. You don't start, you don't need to go to palm reading or trying to read the, the tea petals. What does the Bible say? Focus on this truth. This truth. You say, well, I want to know more. No, dear friend, it's a good saying. Ignorance is bliss. If you knew what was going to happen in your life, if God allowed you to see on the screen what's going to happen to in your life in this in the next five minutes, for the next year, you'd probably run out of here like a banshee. Because you're not ready for it yet. The disciples were not ready for it yet. That's why he was teaching them the importance of humility. What's God teaching in your life? What's God trying to teach you in your life? Are you listening to him? You say, preacher, how do I find what God will say to me? (laughs) Oh, dear friend, he wants to reveal to you in his word. Just open up the wondrous things from his law, and he'll teach you. He'll guide you through his word, through his spirit. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll teach you. 
Oh, how patient the Lord is with his disciples. Oh, how patient the Lord is with us. We see the humility exemplified, but secondly, we see a lack of humility defined. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. It says, he came to Capernaum, being in the house. He asked him, what was it that thou didst do among yourselves, by the way? <laughs> we see the place. There was Capernaum. Now, remember Capernaum? That was that place, kind of the, kind of the, the central part of place of, of Jesus' ministry, the home of, of Peter, uh, James, and John, kind of their, their home base, a place of place that was near the, on the top of the Sea of Galilee. They often focused their ministry there. We don't only see the place, we see the privacy. They actually, we study it, it being in the house. He asked them, we believe, actually, this was in Peter's house. Again, Peter, they had ministered in, in, in Peter's home. Actually, Jesus had, had done a miracle in the life of Peter's mother-in-law. So Jesus' disciples probably met here in Peter's house, and they were, they were, they were, they were, they were talking about things on the way down from uh, Caesarea Philippi, Mount Hermon. They were coming down from that area down to Capernaum. And in that time, they were discussing things. And what were they discussing? We find out the problem, verse 34. They held their peace, but by the way, they disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. What were they talking about? Oh, how, how, how can we help other people? How can we minister to Jesus? No. <laughs> what they were talking about is I wonder who Jesus likes the most. I wonder who's going to get most of the rewards. Kind of like a bunch of little kids. I wonder who's going to have the most toys. That's what they were focusing. They weren't focusing on other people and Jesus. Now, they've been with Jesus for almost three years, but they're still consumed with themselves. Oh, dear friend, pride's a problem. What does pride do? First of all, pride destroys unity. Look at verse 34. When they held their peace, by the way, they disputed them themselves, who should be the greatest? We see we see out throughout the New Testament the struggle of pride. Church of Corinth, prime example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. For if declared to you Unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there were contentions among you. Do I say this, that every one of you that saith, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Oh, the church of Corinth had all type of the problems. They had all type of divisions. And why? Because the church of Corinth was full of pride. It's the story of relationships. When a person walks off a job, when a person walks out of a marriage, when a person walks out of the, of the church, what is probably the number one reason? Pride. Pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. Couples, when you walk out of here, start talking about where you want to go eat. Well, how are you going to decide on that? Who's going to humble themselves and say, dear, I'll go wherever you want to go? No, I want barbecue. No, I want fish. I want browns. I want sunnies. Somebody has to submit themselves and say, I love you so much, I'll go where you want to go. If you don't, you're going to starve to death. You say, but we, we get all upset and get angry. You want to watch your TV show? She wants to watch her TV show? Hey, man, just go get you another TV show in your bedroom and, sign, and quit all that fussing. That's how you fix all that. Or you'll be arguing all night. Who gets the throne, the scepter of power? 
You can have two scepter powers. There's peace in that. Quit fighting on that one. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Why isn't there any peace? I'll tell you why there's any peace in your relationship. Pride. That's why there's a peace in your relationship. Pride. It's destroyed relationships. We're to walk in unity. Philippians 1.27, let our conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit of one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Oh, it's not everybody doing your own thing. No, we're one. There's power in unity. There's trouble when there's disunity. Pride always brings disunity. Secondly, pride forfeits honor. Look at verse 35. He sat down and called the 12 and said to them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of, a servant of all. It's a serious problem. Pride keeps people from attaining the very honor they sought. Many in our day, many in this day, the disciples view spiritual pride as abnormal, desirable, legitimate. Why? Because the religious leaders of the day were very proud people. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes were proud. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They may broad their phylacteries, enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the uttermost rooms of the feast, the chief seats of the synagogues, greetings in the markets to be called of men. Rabbi, rabbi. So the disciples basically saw the pattern of the religious leaders was to be seen of men. So they said, well, the religious leaders are doing it. I'll be like that. They had the wrong example. And they wanted to be like that. What's the solution? <laughs> Verse 35 again. If any man to be desired first, the same shall be last of all. The servant of all. He said, preacher, how, how am I going to, what's, what's God's will for, for my life? To be last. The beauty of being last. You preach, I want to be first. No, 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 no. The world says be first. Jesus says be last. Jesus says if you want to you succeed in life, so success is not getting more, having more, and when, when, when you die, having more to toys. That's not success. Success in life is finding God's will for your life and doing it. And what is God's will for your life? To be like Jesus. Did Jesus come and say, hey, look at me. I'm the son of, I'm the son of God. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. Praise me, worship me, bow down to me. Did he do that? No, he humbled himself and died on the cross so that we could have everlasting life. Who's the greatest? The greatest is the one who chooses to be the least. You want to be great in your household? Be the, man, be the person in your house that cleans the house the most. Somebody said amen. I heard it. I heard it. Exactly where it came from. <laughs> Clean the house the most. Work the hardest. Be the humblest. Not humble to be seen of people, but humble because it's a choice that you make in your life. Thirdly, re pride rejects God. Verse 36, he took a little child and said in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, who shall have received one of you? Of such children in my name receiveth me, whosoever receives me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me, the child. Perhaps some suggest maybe one of Peter's children served as an object lesson for Christ's instruction. Of course, Christ used a child many times. What is it about a child? I, I mean a well-behaved child. They're humble. They're teachable. 
They're not going to lie to you. You ask a child about something, they're not trying to scheme it. They just tell you the truth. Sometimes they tell you too much. But they're not, they don't have some type of plan. They're not thinking in the back of their mind how they're going to make what you're about to say useful for them. They're not going to try to figure out how they can lie to get out of that situation. They're stuck. And if you can't understand what they're saying, just look at their face. And their face tells everything. The innocence of a child. Jesus brings this little child and says, you want to be great disciples? You men, you fishermen, you tough, strong fishermen, you want to be great? Be like this. Be just like this little child. Be teachable. Be loving. Be caring. Be innocent. Be pure. Be honest. Be without guile. The profound reality is that Christians treat fellow how treat Christians how, how fellow Christians treat fellow believers is exactly how they treat Christ. Conversely, those who reject other believers reject Him. You want to be like you want to be you want to be like Jesus. How are you going to treat that little child? In essence, how you treat other people is how you will treat Christ. The greatest second greatest commandment in scriptures is love thy neighbor as thyself. We love others like we love ourselves, or we so consumed in loving ourselves. If we want a relationship with God, we must be childlike. Fourthly, pride excludes others. Look at verse 38, and John answered, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in my name, and he followeth not us. We forbade him because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. There's, there's no man which shall do a miracle in my name, but that can do it, speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is, is on our part. The answer referred to is not recorded in Scripture. We don't know exactly what the situation here, but this, this, uh, this event was, in a sense, casting out demons. Oh, this man was, as we see, we can't identify him. We don't know exactly who his name is, what his name is. John and the others tried to prevent him, tried to keep him from doing something because they believed he was doing wrong. But pride thrives in focusing only on us and not on the other people. Pride has the idea of us four and no more. Pride th- thrives in cults. Pride thrives in cliques. Pride thrives in clubs. That's why we're a church. We're not a clique. We're not a cult. We're not a club. We're a church. We're not a church. A true New Testament church is not a cult, clique, or club. The church is a blood-washed, born-again, Bible-believing men and women, boys and girls who love God, love others in the church, and those outside of the church. That's what we're supposed to do. We're a loving church, serving a living Savior, caring about our community. Pride destroys unity. Pride forfeits, forfeits honor. Pride rejects God. Pride excludes others. We see the humility exemplified. We see the lack of humility defined. But thirdly, this morning, we see humility rewarded. Look at verse 41. For whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, you shall not lose his reward. You know, the, the Pharisee and Sadducees, no, we have to do some great act. We have to do some great spiritual deed. We have to, we have to, we have to get a bunch of people together and, and, you know, have a huge crowd so that we'll get recognized and people will see us. We'll do this, this famous thing so our name will be known. That's how we get the reward. And that's what the world does, doesn't it? Let's have a big show. Let's get a bunch of people. 
Let's put it all over. Let's put it everywhere so everybody can see it, so everybody knows who we are, so our name will get out there, so we'll be recognized. It's all about recognition. It's not about the gospel. That's what's happening in a lot of churches today. It's all about entertainment. It's all about entertainment. What feels good. Oh, dear friend, we're not having service because it feels good. <laughs> so, man, I'm not wearing a coat and tie because it feels good this morning. I'm doing what, what is right, not how it feels. If I base my life on how it feels, I'm doomed. I wouldn't even be here. I'd still be in bed. And you would, too. We're not living life how you feel. You live life because it's right. We live life. We don't, we're not trying to entertain folks. We're trying to encourage people into Christ. We live in an entertainment society where people want to, are, their ears want to be tickled. They want to feel good when they walk out. Dear friend, I, I, I like feeling good, but I want to know the truth more important than feeling good. Amen? Don't you want somebody to tell you the truth? Because that's what we need, the truth. He says, Jesus said, hey, it's not, it's not getting a whole lot of folks. It's not advertising so the whole people, everybody can see, to be seen of men. The purpose is if I give, if you give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, in another place it says, if you give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you have your reward. You see, friend, if you do it, as Brother Benny said last week, if we do things for the intention of being seen of men, we have our reward. But if we do it with the intention of glorifying God, and only a God himself can know the heart of a person. We can't judge and say, well, that person's doing it for glory, lest they come out and say they're doing it for their own glory. We have to know God, God knows, judges the hearts, and that will be taken care of the judgment seat of Christ, as, we mentioned, as was mentioned last Sunday. But if we give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ or in the name of a disciple, we'll receive a reward. That's simple and simplistic because it shows humility. And that's what we need to be doing every day, doing simple acts of kindness, texting someone, messaging someone, encouraging someone, helping someone, being there for someone. You mean as simple as going over there, getting a cup of water and giving it to another person on a warm day in Florida? That's important to Jesus. That's exactly what he said. You do it in the name of Christ because you're his. He says, Jesus says, you do that. He, said, he didn't say a meal at Brown's. Oh, that'd be great. Or a meal at Sunny's. Oh, that'd be good. Or at Don Shooter's. Oh, that'd be great. He said, no, just a cup of cold water in my name. You see, if, you, if, you're, if you're really wanting to serve God, you'll be willing to give. What's the essence of humility? Someone who gives of themselves. What do you give? You give your time. The most important things we have in this life is time. Why is it so important? Because none of us know how long we have. Because life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Do you give your time to Jesus and for other people? How much of your time during the week do you say you give to the cause of Christ and other people? 5%? 10%? Sunday morning? That's all? When you stand before Jesus Christ and he says, how much time did you give to me in your life? Would you be, will you be ashamed? Because you gave whole, so much more of your time to other things that really didn't matter and very little of your time to stuff that really did matter. How about your talents? That's giving. 
Some of you can sing. I've heard you. But I don't hear you up here. I don't hear you over there. He said, preacher, I can never. No, what you got to do is humble yourself and do it. He said, well, I'm not that good. Why not share your talents with other people? Some of you probably could play the piano. You just ain't told me. Some of you probably could play an instrument. You just hadn't told me because you're afraid the preacher hears about it. He'll get you up here. Yeah, because I want you to be a blessing to other people. Sharing your talent is not about you. It's about being a blessing to other people. God has given you a talent. Won't you share that talent with other people? Because it's God given to you, not to be blessing to you, but to be a blessing to other people. Why don't you do that? Because you're proud. That's why people don't do what they should do. They're just proud. They don't, they're afraid. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want nobody to see me. I don't want to hear me. Just die to all that. Die to all that. The first time I ever preached or ever taught, <laughs> a guy asked me to teach Sunday school. And the lesson, the lesson, it was a lesson was in Sunday school. I think I was 17 years of age. I remember the lesson. It was the patience of Job. I was 17 years of age. I didn't know anything about patience. I'm still struggling with patience. I'm from 50. But I've taught on the patience, uh, patience of Job. I had a whole page of notes. I think I said it in like three minutes. It was over. I was scared to death to get up in front of those peers, those other teenagers who've been saved most of their life. Here's this rebel from, from Taylor, South Carolina, right down the road, trying to tell these other teenagers who've been in Christian school all their life about the patience of Job. But I did it because that's what God wanted me to do. And if you simply share the talents that God has given you with other people, that'll be a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus. You give your treasure. Oh, preacher, now you're talking about money. I knew you were going to get there. No, friend, if you live for Jesus, you're going to give your treasure because that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to give your tithe. But, friend, it's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. Because if you give faithfully to God, God, he wants to bless you in your life. And when you withhold what God wants to give to his kingdom for the furtherance of the gospel, you, you unleash God's blessing on your life. You think, man, if I hold back this, this 5% or this 10%, then, man, I'm going to save this. It's going to help me. No, friend, you lose it. You lose the blessing. And the blesser cannot, will not bless you. But I promise you, on the authority of the word of God, if you give your treasure, you'll be so glad you did. I believe your tires will last longer on your car. I believe that, that nine-year-old car will wind up being a 15-year-old car. That washer that you have that's messed up, broke, will go a whole lot longer. God will bless your life in so many different ways because you've chosen to do right. Obedience always brings a blessing. Disobedience always brings problems. How can you give? You give your time, you give your treasure, you give your talent. And what does that happen? By doing that, dear friend, there is great gain that never will be forgotten. Proverbs 24, 4, 22, 4. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. You say, well, preacher, I want honor. I want life. I want riches. Well, give. Give. Humility is giving of kindness. Not to be seen of men. Not to people say, oh, here's me. But do it 
in the sight of God for those who cannot ever help you out. It's giving that track to that person in Publix who you may ever never see again, but you know the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, give them that track. It's giving that, it's giving that dollar, that $20 tip to that waitress who you know is struggling because you can see the tears in her eyes. And she know, you know she needs encouragement that day. And though you, maybe you don't have it, you say, by the grace of God, I'm going to give it and see what God does. Oh, dear friend, if you want success in life, it's not about giving. It's not about giving. Success in life is about giving. I wonder this morning, will you be a giver? Will you choose to be a hoarder? You ever been to a hoarder's house? <laughs> I've been to a few. Hoarder's house, you walk in their house, and you kind of have to do this little side shuffle. Because they got so much stuff here, so much stuff here. Because they, what happens? They can't, I got to have this, I got to have this. Because, you know, rainy day. How many days is it going to rain? You need this, 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 and this, and this? They hoard it. Instead of giving it to other people, they hoard their things because they feel like they have to have it. No, dear friend, we give it to goodwill. Give it to somebody in need. Give it to somebody who's struggling. I guarantee you somebody in this church probably has a need for it if you're willing to let go of it. So often we live our lives with clutched hands. It's mine. It's mine. I have to have it. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to unfold those hands, unclasp those hands and say, here. He wants you to do it. But dear friend, if you won't do it, what God does in his love, he'll take those hands and he'll rinse them free. And all that stuff you think you have in your house is so important, all those little gidgets and gadgets and gizmos, though it's so important to you, other people will take them. You see, the day, the day that the day you pass away, somebody's probably taking your shoes down to Goodwill. Somebody's probably taking your stuff and somebody else is taking it. Somebody's ladies looking through your pictures, your precious pictures with your grandchildren. They don't know what's about them. They don't care about them, and they're going to throw them away. Not my precious pictures. Yes. What you holding on to in this life? This life is not about getting. This life is about get, getting, giving. Are you a giver or are you a grabber? Five men went down to Ecuador to reach the Accra Indians. Nate Saint, Roger Yoldman, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott. Spurred by a passion to reach the Aqua Indians for Christ. These folks who knew, who were known to be, to be vicious, people who were known to hurt other people, they went down there because they had a cause, a cause that was greater than themselves to reach these folks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they did. But in, but in the process of doing so, they all died. They were all killed. And people would say, those young men, those young men, they wasted their life. No, dear friend, they didn't waste their life. They gave their life. They gave their life. And ultimately, many of those folks in that tribe, they became Christians. And Jim Elliott said, he is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How about you? Are you grasping? What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? Are you giving? Dear friends, someday you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And the fiery eyes of Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, will look at your life. And really, it will come down to one of two things. Did I grasp? Or did I give? That is the real life. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your kindness. Thank you for teaching us lessons, Lord, so often. The lessons that the disciples needed to learn still are going to need to learn. The lessons that we are learning still need to learn. Oh, God, teach us humility. And if we will not humble ourselves, oh, gracious Father, in your kindness and your mercy and your love, with great patience and long-suffering, do what you must in our lives like you did the disciples to humble us to the place we realize that life is not about what we have. Life is about what we give. I wonder with head bowed and eyes closed, those those in this room today, and there are many, I believe, in this room that place their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone in this room is doubting their decision. Maybe there's a doubt in your life whether you, if you die today, you go to heaven. You're not sure about it. You're concerned about it. Maybe you made a decision as a child or a time of desperation, and you're just not sure. The Bible says that we're all sinners. <laughs> All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God commended his love towards us. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole mission of Jesus, as we've talked about, was to die for the sins, not just, not just of the world, but dear friend, more importantly, more importantly you, because you're part of this world and me. Maybe you're here this morning and say, preacher, I'm not, I'm not sure if I, if I was to die today, I'd go to heaven, but I want to be sure. Would you pray for me that I place my faith in Jesus Christ? I've, I've had doubts about it. I have questions about it. And I, I just need to be sure about my salvation. I really, really don't want to die and go to hell. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all this morning? I'm just not sure about my salvation. I'm really not. Anybody I can pray for you? I won't embarrass you at all, I promise. You say, preacher, I'm saved. Let's be honest. If I'm totally honest, I've been living my life for me. If I'm honest, I'm totally, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I struggle with pride. I struggle with focusing on me, my problems, my issues, my me, me, me. If God was to examine my life, oh, I'd be so ashamed right now of how I live my life, the time that I give, my talents, my treasure. It's really all about me. And I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm struggling. Dear friend, we all struggle. If we're honest, every one of us should raise their hands and say, Preacher, maybe this message has touched your heart particularly this morning. Say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm struggling with that. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest? Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. I'm struggling this morning. <laughs> I find myself consumed with how I feel, what I think, what I want, what I like. Me. I'm consumed with me. Let's stand to our feet. God has spoken in your heart. Would you come? Would you come? Say, God, forgive me. <laughs> oh, you are forgiven, but make, make that commitment to choose, maybe to give more of your time, talent, and treasure, to say less of you and more of me. Say, 
less of me, more of you, oh God. Help us as we come this morning as the piano plays. God, help us. God, help us. I'm struggling this morning. Have you raised your hand? Would you come? I need to, I'm going to die to myself. Die to my dreams. Die to my plans. Die to my wants. Die to me.